Have you ever experienced a moment that profoundly changed you? That, you know, shaped the course, maybe the direction of your life? You know, that definitely happened for a man named Millard Fuller. Uh, when he graduated from law school, he had one goal, and that was to make as much money as he could, as fast as he could. And by the age 29, he was over a millionaire. He had all the things that he thought life could offer. He had the great house, the boat, the, the car, the four-wheeler. He had the vacation home. He had it all. And he gave it all to his wife. But he came home one afternoon, and he found a card on the counter that said she was leaving him. He was able to track her down to a hotel room in New York City, and, and as they sat on the bed together, she just opened up her heart, and she said, you know what, all these things that you're giving me are great, but they, they don't satisfy me. She said, I, I feel empty on the inside. I feel hollow on the inside. They both have been drifting from God for a long time. I mean, they, they knew the Lord, but they had not been walking with him. And, and really, in that moment, in that hotel room, they got down on their knees next to that bed, and they prayed for the first time in a long time. And they made a radical decision that night. They decided to sell off all their luxurious lifestyle and to give their lives on behalf of the poor. In fact, they went on to establish an organization that you may have heard of called Habitat for Humanity. And they built over 800,000 homes for the poor, over 70 countries all around the world. Millions of people have been radically changed because of that one decision in that hotel room that night. One decision that radically changed them. The same thing could be said for the, the Apostle John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of uh, his leadership team. In fact, not only was he a part of the 12, he was one of the inner circle. Some might even say that John was Jesus' very best friend. When Jesus was dying and he wanted somebody to take care of his mom, he, he entrusted his mother to John. In fact, in the Gospel of John, he's often referred to as the one that Jesus loved because he was the closest to Jesus. He was his very best friend. And yet, John had this moment uh, that happened in his life that he never got over and changed him in a very profound way and still changes us today. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open it up to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the Bible in the New Testament. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one there, and we'll put the page number on the screen so you can follow along. Uh, chapter 13, John chapter 13. Let me kind of set the stage here. Jesus is um, with his disciples. He is in the upper room. He's with this 12. This is literally hours before he will be arrested and then tried and crucified. So this is his last time with his guys. These men that he loved, these men he had led, these men he had invested his life in for three and a half years, he knew he was never going to sit with them, eat with them, be with them like this ever again. And he was heavy in his heart. In fact, it says in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And how did Jesus show his love for them? Well, he, he, the scripture says that he took... Uh, a basin and a towel, and he washed his disciples' feet. It was a lowly thing to do. It was a humble thing to do. It was a tender thing to do, really. 
And then he put his cloak back on and he took his place at the table and then he told them, hey, I'm gonna leave and where I'm going, you can't come. And they were upset. They didn't understand what he was talking about. And then we read this. Let's look at it. Chapter 13, verse 21. It says, and when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started uh, looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. And one of the disciples, the one Jesus loved, that is John, uh, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter mentioned to him to find out who he was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, he's one I give the piece of bread to after I've dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon's Iscariot's son. And after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew what he, why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what we need for the festival, for that he should give, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. And when he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I've told the Jews, I now tell you where I am going, you cannot come. Let's stop right there for a minute. Uh, John is hearing all this go down and he's seeing that somehow Jesus is saying that he's leaving, he's gonna depart, and now somebody's gonna betray him and then he's gonna die. And I think it kind of clicks. He's talking about his death. He's gonna die and, and he's gonna be betrayed by one of our own. I mean, all this is swirling now in John's mind. And then Jesus says, now God is glorified. Once Judas headed out the door, the wheels were in motion and could not be stopped. And he said, now God is glorified. It's gonna glorify me on the cross and in my resurrection. And, and this is why I've come. And then he turns to me and he says, little children. That's a, it's not a put down. That's a tender term. Guys, come close to me. I'm telling you, I'm gonna go and you can't come with me. And I'm sure all of this is just causing John's mind to spin. And then Jesus says something that profoundly shaped John, that changed his, he never, ever, ever got over this. He never forgot it. Look at verse 34. This is what Jesus said. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another he's like guys no matter what happens you got to love one another you know we're living in a day when christian love has grown cold you know for many people church is is more of a a place you go not a place you belong. It's a, it's a building that you attend, not a family you're a part of. It's something we do on the weekends because we should, and maybe we're encouraged, 
but it's not a community that we do Monday through Saturday with. And, and this is what Jesus was calling us to, to love one another. I was reminded of this when I had a conversation with a lady from New Jersey. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And she was asking me about our church. And, and, I, and she said, well, do people know each other? I go, oh, of course they know each other. I mean, you know, we come in and people are high-fiving and hugging. And, you know, they missed each other, you know, throughout the week. And there's a lot of laughter. And then we worship God together. And then when it's over, people are lingering around and talking. And then they go into groups and we, they study the Bible together. And they pray for each other. And they do stuff throughout the week. And they raise our kids together and we laugh together and we do so. And she, she was just dumbfounded. She goes, really? Yeah. And she said, wow, that, that would be really meaningful if you had a place like that. And it just hit me that she's never experienced that. I mean, she, she knows she has a need for community. She knows she has a need to, to love and be loved and care and, and to be cared for, but she had no idea that God provided for that in his church. She had no idea. And it just reminded me that on this night, when there was so much at stake, when all hell literally was breaking loose, it's like Jesus reached across the table and pulled his guys close and he said, guys, whatever you do, Love each other. Love one another. Why did he say this? Why was this so important? I think the main thing that Jesus is saying is this. Your love for each other is what sets you apart. Your love for each other here in our church is what makes this community different than any other place. It's different than the Lions Club and Kiwanis. It's different than the people that you work with. It's different than your fraternity or sorority. It's different than all these other places where we seek to find community. It's totally different than that because there is a love here that is unlike any other place. He said, love one another. And then he kind of, in verses 34 and 35, just really unpacks what that means for us. Now, before I dive into that and kind of break it down for you, um, I want to tell you what he's not talking about, what love is not. Um, love is not just emotions. Love is not just rainbows and rope pedals, right? It's not, uh, it's not just goosebumps and feelings. Uh, sometimes love is difficult. Loving one another doesn't mean that we always agree. It doesn't mean it's a lack of conflict. It doesn't mean that we don't see things differently. In fact, you know that in your own family, right? You can love your family and yet, and then you're not always in agreement. You're not always in sync all the time, but you still love one another and you work together to come together and work through it. Love is not bolting when things don't go your way. Love is not running uh, to something else. Love is not pushing other people away. Love is not digging your heels in and refusing to say, I'm sorry, or refusing to forgive. That's not love. That's not what he's talking about here. Whatever our culture says love is, uh, Jesus defines what love is here. And so I want us to, to look at what Jesus says about how we should love one another. I'm going to give you three things, all right? First thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Right, by the way, we take notes so that we can remember it and think about it during the week, right? We can pray it through and ask God to make it true in our life, all right? So the first thing to write down is this, love is a command. Jesus teaches us that love is a command. Look at it, verse 34. He said, a new command I give you, I give you a new command, love one another. Now circle the words new command, right? First off, it's new. 
By the way, this is the only place for you Bible nerds that like to know this kind of stuff. This is the only place where the word new appears in the gospel of John. This is the only place. It is something new. It is something profoundly different. You say, wait a minute, Craig, doesn't God say to love people, you know, somewhere else? I'm sure in the Old Testament, there's a place where God, how could this be something new? Well, let me explain this to you because when Jesus came, he started something new, right? I mean, all, for all, uh, all history up to this point, the Jews have been looking for a Messiah that's going to come. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring right into place. And he's going to push back the Romans and establish Israel. That's what they thought. But when Christ came as the Messiah, he came as a suffering servant. He came to die on a cross. And in his death on the cross, he established a new covenant, the Bible says. A new way that we relate to God, no longer by rules, no longer by legalism no longer by ritual, no longer by sacrifice. He wiped that off null and void. And he said, we are now in a new covenant by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's why we're not sacrificing sheep today. Amen. Right? Right, because we have a new covenant that Christ is our Passover lamb. He's our sacrifice. And now we relate to God by faith, not by our works. And that's something new. That was something brand new. And not only that, that we have a new relationship with God, but now we have a new relationship with each other. He created this new community, this group of people that were devoted to Jesus, the Messiah, that had never existed before. The church had not existed before, but now here we have this new community of faith that, that's in relationship with God by faith and that is equally devoted to uh, Christ no matter where they came from. I was reading this morning in my quiet time. He said, man, Jews and Greeks, slave and free, no matter what background, no matter where you came from, no matter your race, your culture, your background, whatever it is, we are all united because of our love and devotion to Jesus. And then he said, no, we got a new relationship with God, this new community. He said, we're, we're bound together with this new motive, and that is love. Love is what holds us together. Our love for God our love for Christ, our love for each other, that's what makes the church the church, right? We're bound by our love. When I was growing up, we used to sing this chorus, we are one in the bond of love. Anybody ever sung, sung that song before? All right, a few of you have. We mean, well, on Sunday nights, usually we would hold hands. Yeah, it got crazy on Sunday nights. We'd hold hands and we'd sing. You know, sometimes we lift up, and then we put it back down. You know, we, we, we certainly didn't let go, you know. But anyway, but we don't have, and we see we're one in the bond of love. We're one in the bond. We've joined our spirits with the spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. That's a great song. It's true. We are one in the bond of love. And there was a moment when that didn't exist. But when Christ came, he brought it, and it's absolutely new. This new command bound up by love for each other and love for God. He said, it's new, but it's also a command. He said, it's a new command. This command is serious. Listen, if I said, I command you, right? That would get your attention, right? Here is Jesus, our commander in chief, giving us a directive. And he said, here is my command. It's in the emphatic in the Greek. Here's my command, love one another. It's not optional. It's not peripheral. It's not, uh, you know, if you really want to go to the next level, 
This is a command for every one of us, a command straight from Jesus to love one another. Now, can we just say that we don't always do that well? I mean, just to be honest, we're in church, by the way, we ought to go ahead and just be honest. We don't always love each other well. And maybe you're not a Christian here today and you've been coming and checking these things out and you've seen some Christians do some really hateful things to other Christians. It's happened. Some of you have been hurt by people in a church and that's why it's been a decade since you've been. And you're maybe even afraid to go back in because of how you may be treated. We don't always do that. Sometimes we've judged one another. Sometimes we've not forgiven one another. Sometimes we've said hurtful things to one another. But that's not on Jesus. That's on us, right? Jesus commanded us to love one another. It's a command. It's a new command that he gave us. You know, this is a... The summer is wedding season. I don't know. I feel like I've been to a lot of weddings this summer. And, of course, you may not know our youngest daughter is now engaged, so we have wedding on the mind 24-7. And if you've gone to a wedding, usually you will, you will hear somebody somewhere at a wedding open up uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, right? In fact, when you open it up, little, little butterflies fly up out of the Bible, you know? Little floating hearts, you know? I mean, it's the love chapter, right? Did you know that that passage, that beautiful passage on love, does, is not, was not written to describe marital love? It was not written to describe a love between a husband and a wife. It was written to describe the love of each other in a church. That's what it was written to, to describe. In fact, I want you to think, think about that who he's writing to, he's telling us how, to, how we can love one another and listen to these words again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is, it is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now let me ask you, do you love people in this church like that? Do you love people in your group like that? Are there people in this church, you go, you know what? I go to church with this, these families and I love them like that. And I'm patient and I'm kind and I'm giving and I'm I do the best to not remember the wrongs and to to just endure and be with them that's what Jesus wants us to love each other it's a command folks it's a command to love one another second thing that we learn about this loving one another is that it's a choice it's a choice. Look at verse 34. He said, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus said, I'm the example. Just as I have loved you. There are lots of just as's in the Bible. Uh, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, you know. Uh, there, there are multiples. Here's one of them. Just as I have loved, you are to love. Jesus is an example. So how did Jesus love us? And we could probably spend an hour just looking at different ways that Jesus loved us. I'm not going to do that right now, but we could look an hour. You could just zoom in on this one chapter. How did Jesus show his love? What did he do? He served them, right? Humbly serving them. Not 
holding on to his position. He invested his life in them. He prayed for them. He forgave them, even Judas, who was betraying him. He drew close to them. He ate with them. He invested his life. He he poured out his heart to them. He was real with them. That's how Jesus loved them then. And that is how Jesus wants us to love each other now. This is why we get together in in a connect group. And this is why we pray together. And this is why we eat together throughout the week. And this is what the early church did. They would eat together from house to house. They would worship together all all in one big group. And then they would love and care for one another and meet each other's needs. That's what love looks like. And it's a choice. I can choose to go, you know what? I'm going to just kind of go to church. I'm going to sit in my seat. I'm going to go out. I'm not going to really connect with anybody. I'm just going to go and kind of audit that. You can choose to do that or you can choose to love, but you can't do both. You're either going to move toward or you're going to move away. You're either going to give your life or you're not going to give your life. And, and Jesus said, listen, my command is that if you're a follower of mine, that you prioritize your church family that you love one another. And that means that you choose to care and choose to help and choose to invest your life. Some of you have been following the, uh, what's been happening with the Boyette family uh, this summer. They've really, really been through it. On May the 22nd, John uh, passed out with a seizure and they discovered a brain tumor that was very substantial cancerous brain tumor. Prognosis was very bad. Um, He had a surgery uh, to remove it, and they were able to remove all of that with any any really effects, uh, verbal effects or cognitive effects on him, which was really miraculous. Uh, And through that whole experience, their connect group really began to love on them and minister to them. People would come to the hospital and visit with them and pray with them. They immediately got uh, people bringing meals to their house and covering them and bathing them with prayer. And and then people would come by the house and help out. And there there were some things that John couldn't do now around the house that some repairs, there was some issue with the ceiling that was sagging down that needed to be fixed and there was a leak in the faucet that needed to be repaired and there were some things around a guy showed up with power tools right and just started fixing stuff and and then there was yard that needed to be maintained and people showed up to take care of the yard and cut back the bushes and and just doing whatever they could to love on them and help them and care for them john got accepted to a clinical trial in houston and so they were, they, the family went to Houston. And while they were there, um, again, the Connegras just kept sending cards and letters. And many of them would have little gift cards in there or cash for groceries and, or gas, just whatever needs that they had. They were just overflowing with love for them. John went through another surgery that was very successful. And he completed his treatment there really with flying colors and uh, was able to ring the bell at the end of his treatment, which uh, it looked something like this. Oh, okay. Yay! <laughs> he did it. <laughs> I mean, it was a big moment for them. And I talked to John and Paige this week, and uh, John completed that. He's home now. In fact, they were in the first service uh, this morning. And they stood up, and man, everybody just cheered to welcome them home. 
And uh, it was just, what a, what a great moment. And here's what I want you to understand. The people in those groups had to choose to do that. They had to say, you know what, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to sin. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to go help them. I'm going to do whatever I can. And that's what love looks like. Listen, folks, love, yeah, it's a command, but it's also a choice that you and I make to move toward people and not to live in isolation. Are you living in isolation right now? I mean, if you were going through a crisis, would there be a group that rallied around you? If you're in a connect group, if you're, if you're in community, there will be like that. But if you're not, you can be in a crowd and be all alone. Jesus said, love one another. It's a choice. Second, or thirdly, not only is it a choice, but it is compelling. Love is compelling. Look at what it says in verse 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's something attractive. There's something compelling. There's something irresistible about Christian love. There's something, if you've ever experienced, ever experienced community, if you've ever experienced love of a group of people that love Jesus, it is not like anything else that you've ever experienced. I remember when Liz and I were young, we were in college and uh, we were in a small group of people and, and we we'd go to church together. It was a little church, but we went to church together. Then we would always go to somebody's house for dinner and then we would stay late and then we would sing together and we'd do Bible study together and we'd go play together and we'd fuss and then we make up and we just did all that kind of thing together. We just experienced true Christian love. And it was like, why would you not want to be a part of this? Because we're created for that. You were created for that. I remember when we left Lubbock to come to Fort Worth, man, we cried a bucket of tears because we didn't want to leave our family. That's what love looks like and it's compelling and when people see that they say man that's what i want listen folks of all the people in the world we should be the most loving right because we have received love from god he's changed our life and now he's given us the opportunity to express that to each other of all the people in the world we as the followers of jesus should be the most loving and compassionate that's why Jesus commanded us to love each other. And this is what John never got over. All right, remember I said, here is John. He's in the upper room. He hears this, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciple if you love one another. And John never forgot that. If you were to fast forward through John's life all the way now, John is an old man. He's an old man. Now, as he looks back, all the guys who were around that table that night are all dead. He has survived them all. all. Most of them were martyred for their faith in Jesus. And here is John, an old man. He's no longer in Jerusalem. Now he's in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. And the Christian movement has exploded from that table all the way, all around the world. And John has seen it happen. And here he is, an old man, and he's working with the church in Ephesus. I think they probably called him Grandpa John. They said, okay, Grandpa John's going to come up and talk to us now. And he'd kind of slowly make his way up. He's feeble now. 
And you know what he kept telling them over and over and over and over? Love one another. That's what he told us, guys. In that upper room, I'll never forget it. He just looked at us in the eye and he told us to love one another. In fact, John wrote it multiple times in his letters. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In 1 John 3, 13, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. This is how we know we're truly born again. In John 4, 19, he said it simply, We love because he first loved us. Listen, your love for one another is what sets you apart. Your love right here in this room is what sets you apart. It's your love. That is, that is a command of Jesus. It is a choice that you make, and it is so compelling to those who come in and who see that love. Just last night, I was talking with some friends, and they were kind of new to our church, and and we were just chatting about different things and, and they stopped and they said, Craig, we wanna tell you why we kept coming back. And I said, why is that? They said, because when we came into this church, we immediately felt, felt joy and love. That was the best, best compliment ever, right? I thought they were gonna say the sermon, but no. <laughs> they said, we felt from you joy in the Lord and love for each other. They said, that's what we want to be. That's what we need. Listen, love one another, beloved. You're going, you're going into the, the new year, right? New school year. You want to make an impact. You want to really make a difference. This in your school, you want to make a difference in your workplace. You want to make a difference in your neighborhood. That's great. But listen, your impact out there is in direct proportion to your love in here. And as you love each other well, Love each other well. Then we can really truly be a light that's different where God's put us. Love one another.